Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. We are going to read aloud together Job 1, 6 through 12. It's in your listening sheet. Now, for the week, we have started in Job 1-1, but in this time, we're only going to read 6 through 12. So let us stand, and we'll read that aloud together. This, then, is the text for today. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. The day before lament is often still. The day before lament, we often find everything going according to plan. If we think back on the pandemic, there was a day before the loss of normality. We were all going about our business as if evil was at bay. If you recall, we are nearly two years to the day of when all of San Antonio shut down. And in fact, if you want to hear the story of my day when I heard, you can hear that uh, further on the Area Fellowship video that we'll be showing this afternoon where I talk more about that story. But the day that I got the call that San Antonio was shutting down, I was having breakfast with an old friend I hadn't seen in about five years, and we were at Bakery Lorraine. And as we were walking out of the Pearl that day, We had no idea how our lives would be altered forever. What was your last memory before the pandemic took over our lives? Job's day before lament was fulfilled. It was a day that was full and fulfilling. 
Now, all that we know about Job's life before lament is all listed here in verses 1 through 5. Job was thrilled that his children were together. They were celebrating together, celebrating life together. Life in their extended households were blessed. There was no reason for them to worry about tomorrow because today was for family. And there was no reason for them to worry about tomorrow because today was for God. In fact, I want to draw our attention to Job chapter 1, verse 5, because I think this is one we can often overlook if we're not careful. So let me read that aloud for us. Job chapter 1, verse 5. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And what you hear in this verse is an important aspect of who Job is and Job's life. He's carrying out the right of a father living on the wild west of the ancient world. He was wearing the spiritual mantle for his family. This is all set up in the text here. And, and what we read and what you can take from this is Job was the wealthiest man of the day, the wealthiest man of the region. And even still, that wealth that is explained in the middle of these verses, none of it is what defined Job. In fact, Job was very clear that his wealth did not define him. See, that may have been how the world defined him. We hear these things and these numbers in the text because the world often defines people by their wealth. But that's not how Job defined himself. And you see later, as we come to meet Satan, this is how Satan is defining Job. And this is how, Job, uh, this is how Satan assumed Job defines himself. That everything is wrapped up in material possession and how much I have. But that's not who Job was. In fact, you see God commend his holiness, both at the beginning of this paragraph and the end of this paragraph. And just as important, the only action that we see of Job in this text is not Job going out to work. We don't find Job going out to the fields. We don't find Job going out to handle the livestock. When we get a picture of who Job was and we get a picture of the kinds of things Job did, Scripture tells us that he was a man of God. And in this week's text, the thing that Job is doing is tending to the spiritual needs of his family. That was his top priority. Above all of those other things and above his wealth, he was going to make sure that the spiritual needs of his family were taken care of first. See, Job was concerned about the spiritual walk of his children, but this goes beyond just the random thoughts that all of us have. Every father has those thoughts where we wonder about the spiritual nature and hearts of our children. This was more than a random thought. This was a lifestyle for Job. Job led them in this holy ritual of faith at home, carrying burnt offerings like Abraham would have for the sake of his family, praying that God would hear them and forgive their sin. And we need to commend Job here that discipling his family was the priority. See, too often in the church, we assume and hand off the responsibility for discipling our children to others. 
to a teacher, to a minister, but the responsibility of the spiritual development of our children is on us, the parents. And you know, it might be some debate whether it's easier to disciple your children the day before the lament or in the middle of the lament. But let me assure you of this. There is no time that is easy to disciple your children. If you will ever take the time to disciple your children, no matter where you are and no matter how old they are, Job's children is already out on their own, no matter how old they are, no matter where you are, if you will take the time to disciple your children, it is a miracle of God. It is a worthy act of faith. You know what, I can tell you from personal experience that it is remarkably easy to find flimsy excuses to not pray with your children. I can tell you from personal experience, it is remarkably easy to find flimsy excuses not to read Scripture with your children. I can tell you from personal experience that it is remarkably easy to find flimsy excuses to not share Jesus with your children. Job had plenty of excuses even the day before lament to coast on the spiritual. Yet there he is in verse 5 leading his family in their spiritual walk, burnt offerings for their sake. And when we hear the Lord praising Job's faith, we can look directly back at this episode as the evidence of that faith. Job leading his children well in their faith. A father who intercedes for his children. This was their day before the lament. Now, admittedly, our pandemic experience has been much different than what Job is going to experience in the days ahead as we work through this text. But the pandemic has been our most recent corporate suffering. A pain that, that we have experienced together. It's important for us to consider that day before the lament. Where was your spiritual life two years ago before the virus ensnared the globe? You know, a lot has happened in these last two years. Has it drawn you nearer to the Lord or have you run away from Him? Where were you the day before it all broke down. You see, we didn't know what was going on behind the scenes two years ago. It's kind of like Job. He has no idea the reality that's unfolding in the heavenly realms that would drastically alter his life forever. Little did Job know, but, but his life is about to know a similar kind of torment that approaches Jesus Christ's suffering. Job, in the coming weeks, as we study through this book, is going to suffer in ways that are beyond our comprehension. But here, in the day before the lament, he's faithfully tending to his children. While in the spiritual realm, there's an exchange happening between God and Satan, unseen to us in this world. And what we recognize in this is that those who love Jesus have an adversary. And we see this throughout the Scripture. His head pops up like a mole into the surface 
throughout the text. But we have this named adversary in Scripture, sometimes called Satan, sometimes called the devil, sometimes it's called evil. But he shows up in these little places throughout, like in the creation story, as a slithering snake manipulating God's word into something toxic for Adam and Eve. A simple question meant to manipulate and lead to destruction, and they take the bait. You know, Adam and Eve were oblivious, but before the lament, Satan and his minions are squeezing the life out of us one way or another. And here they are through temptation. You know, for Job, it was something else. For Job, it was a conversation in the heavens. You know, we see, you know, a similar strategy in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, Satan shows up to entice Jesus into something unholy by promising him the world. And again, what we, what we see here, Satan begins to manipulate Scripture to try to trap Jesus into a sin spiral. You know, we often forget or we want to ignore that in the Gospels, Satan's minions are the ones first proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, that they would know him more intimately than we do. And in the book of James, we, we hear Jesus' brother write that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. And I tell you this because this is one of Satan's time-tested tactics that he and his minions know the Scripture intimately, and they will twist it into knots so that it becomes a web of misinformation draped over our heads. Revelation, the end of Scripture, calls Satan the great deceiver. And his deception has worked on humanity, but it failed on the weary Christ in Matthew chapter 4. You know, we also see in Scripture that Satan is the great accuser who will not only fill your head with manipulated scripture, but will also fill your head with unbearable guilt. You will often hear the lies of Satan that, re that sound something like this, that you cannot be forgiven for that. That God's grace doesn't reach that corner where you find yourself. That God's grace won't cover those thoughts that you have been having day after day. Those are the lies of Satan. And he will accuse you until you are bound up in guilt and ready to give up. See, Satan is doing his best here. As he comes to God and as he considers Job, he comes up with a scenario where he believes that Job is going to break. And what's happening here, Satan is accusing Job of only following God because he has nice things. And this is what you see play out is Satan tells God, Job would not be near you if you weren't giving him, as if God was bribing Job to be near to God. And Satan's making this accusation that Job is no longer going to follow you if you take away the material possessions of this world. And, and he's making a larger accusation across the globe that if you take away the material things from people, if you take away their shiny toys and you take away their bank accounts, they will run away from you forever. And this is the kind of thing that Satan is accusing Job of. He's heard us say things like this before to our God. When we talk big like Peter before the crucifixion, but as soon as we're asked a question in the middle of the trial, we desert the Lord. 
See, Satan knows it's easy to us to look up and disavow God when life becomes unbearable and guilt unmanageable. You know, as I think back over the, the last couple of years in this pandemic, I've seen and heard some of the most irrational hatred from folks because in suffering we break. And that's what Satan is, is banking on in this moment with Job, that with a little bit of suffering he's going to break. Because Satan is assuming that Job's faith was built on comfort. And if your faith is built on comfort, when, when you become uncomfortable, faith dissolves. Or, or Satan is assuming that, that Job's faith is built on the shiny things of this world, and when those shiny things begin to rust, then the faith will deteriorate. And so Satan is banking when the shiny things dull or life becomes uncomfortable. Job's going to give up. You know, this is one of the, the lies that Satan, Satan still uses today. He has much of the United States of America ensnared with the prosperity gospel, which is a short, sort of wishful thinking that if you follow religious ritual, then God will give you lots of money. God will give you lots of comfort. But thank the Lord that in Jesus Christ, God's promises are much deeper than money. God's promises are much deeper than the material things that we find around us. God's work and God's promises go deep into our soul and, and take us up into the holy things of God that are far greater than anything that you could find on this earth. Job knew that. But Satan was counting on Job being more like those prosperity preachers praying for a plane, connecting faith to money and creative or creature comforts. You see, the question uh, on the table for the whole book of Job is then how will Job behave? We saw how he behaved the day before the lament. But is that same behavior that he was doing the day before the lament, is that going to carry on through the suffering? Or is the tragedy going to change him? Is Job going to trust the Lord, or is he going to curse God and die? You know, I want us to be careful reading this, because we can struggle with Satan's cameos here. This story reveals a diabolical depth of which Satan will descend. However, there's, there's no need for anyone who knows Jesus Christ to fear this terror. Because even as this story unfolds at the beginning of chapter 1, it is clear who the authority is over all creatures and over all creation. That Satan is no rival of God, but another creature who has found ways to inflict pain and trouble until the end. Now, we know without Jesus, Satan will devour you, ripping you apart limb from limb. But Jesus Christ not only defeated Satan at the beginning of his ministry through the temptation, but Jesus Christ defeated Satan forever at the cross. And even along the way, Jesus' ministry, as it was unfolding through the Gospels, you hear Satan's buddies begging Jesus to spare them because they know who has the authority. And don't be mistaken, all power and authority were revealed at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
For all of Satan's lies and guilt and accusations were overwhelmed by the light of life. When Jesus came out of the grave, he brought with him full forgiveness and sets us free from all guilt and all pain of this life. So that if you love Jesus, you can rebuff every accusation Satan has ever laid against you by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that we can walk right past Satan and approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have a risen Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work into our hearts. There have been days and times our hearts were hardened to your ways. And Lord, we have felt that heavenly chisel scraping away at the hardness of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that as a body of believers, that our hearts would turn into soft clay that could be molded by the hands of our Lord. Lord, that's what we long for. There have been days that we have fought it, but Lord, we pray that you would shape us into the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, we, we know that we are powerless. Lord, we, we know that we can't stand against the chaos of this world on our own. Lord, we know that we can't make it through the suffering of this world and the guilt that overwhelms us by ourselves. Lord, alone we are lost, and that's why we long for Jesus. And Lord, we pray this morning that Jesus Christ would be our obvious redemptive Savior, that not a one of us would miss him, but every single one of us worshiping together this morning would cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and live in the power of the forgiveness that we find there. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.